Thanks so much, team. Uh, man, to the God who sets us free, whose amazing grace, whose amazing love is forever for you. Amen. So I love Easter traditions and uh, being the parents of some young kids, I'm getting to love them even more. And so my wife, Lindsay, uh, and her family have some, have some great traditions for Easter. And like the best traditions, they're a mix of stuff that, uh, that is from long ago and also some stuff that we're just making up as we go along. So, uh, so at her house, uh, we've got the traditional um, Easter pinata, of course, like you do, which is full of Easter love right there, as you can tell. Um, we, do the, we do the Easter egg hunt with like real hard-boiled eggs and decorate those, which are great. It's beautiful. Um, they're a little bit less fun to open up than like plastic eggs. So you got to do something with those eggs once you find them. So of course, we build the traditional Easter catapult to shoot the eggs across the yard afterwards. And what you don't see in this picture is uh, my wife, Lindsay, on the other side of the yard with a wiffle ball bat. Um, catching the eggs <laughs> with her. Oh, Easter, I love it so much. But traditions give us this common language and this metaphor to live with. Uh, but growing up, I didn't have a whole lot of like high churchy kind of traditions. And so when it came to a high church day like Easter Sunday, I was a little bit of a disadvantage. And so I remember this one time when I was like nine years old and we went to a church-wide Easter celebration at an Anglican church. And they do like tradition, like serious. They had robes and recitations and it was beautiful. They had this thing that they would say to each other. They'd say, one person would say, he is risen, and the other people would say, he is risen indeed. Okay, you went to that same service that I did. <laughs> I didn't know that when I was nine years old. And so this like, beautiful, bright, shining lady, joy-filled, said to me, he is risen. And I just said, cool. <laughs> cool. I mean, it's cool, don't get me wrong, but uh, I didn't know quite what to say to that. And I think sometimes, like when we come to this Easter story, None of us know quite what to say in response, do we, to this amazing story, and it is amazing. When we say he is risen, what we're saying is that, that death has been overcome by life, that love has faced off against the power of brokenness and hate, and that love wins. We say that our failures and our woundedness and our separation were overcome by a God who loves us each so much that for the brokenness of our world, our God was broken for the suffering of our world, our God suffered. That whatever you think separates you from God has been rolled away like a stone and that all things are being made new by the God who created all things and all of us in the beauty of our diversity. That is what we mean when we say he is risen. And like, what can you even say to that? We can't say anything really in response. And that's, that's okay because Easter is about what God has done in love for us. And God wants us to live in, and in response to that reality, that this is a world that God is at work and alive in restoring. This is a world where Easter morning is that first shaft of light that breaks through the darkness and signifies that the sun is rising and the day is coming in full. God wants us to live in, to trust in, to love from that reality and that hope. Christ is risen. It's risen indeed. And it's pretty stinking cool. <laughs> but it can be a hard reality to live in sometimes, amidst the chaos, the struggles of day-to-day -day life. Maybe the reason that it's hard 
for you to know exactly what to say in response to Easter is that perhaps like many of us in this room, maybe you feel like this story of Easter isn't totally for you. Maybe you feel like the story is kind of closed to you a little bit because of your story and your history, your doubts and your questions, your imperfections. Maybe it's that your life and your kids aren't perfect and they do things with that catapult that you told them not to do and they just won't listen. Or maybe it's because of who you are and who you love that you feel like this isn't quite open to you. And if that's your story, I'm so incredibly sorry. Because the heart of our God and the heart of this Easter story is so revolutionary and so restorative. And it's for you, no matter what. It is, above all, good news of a God who is love, who knows you and loves you completely, whose love wins even in this mixed-up world, who has rolled away the stone, thrown the doors open, and offered in love this invitation to all, to anyone, to whosoever, to all who would come, to come and find lasting life. And when God says all, God means all. And so Easter reminds us that no matter what you think disqualifies you, that God loves you with unqualified love and has given everything that you might know that invitation, that you might find life and purpose and worth. And all that stuff that feels like it was sealed away in a grave has been rolled away and life has burst forth. And that's the story of Easter. And it's cool. But in the words of Reading Rainbow, you don't have to take my word for it, right? So it should comfort us to know that we're not the first folks not to know exactly what to do with Easter. Um, pretty much every single character in Scripture was trying to figure out what in the world this was and, what to, and how to figure this out. And so I want to tell you the story of one of those guys this morning, this guy named Peter. And when Easter went down, Peter didn't think it was for him either, and for seemingly good reason. So I, I want to tell you this story, and in this story, I think we can see just how encompassing and radical and amazing God's love is, and just how God responds to those places where we feel separated, where we feel excluded, where we feel like we've messed up and don't measure up. God responds with amazing, unimaginable love. Spoiler alert, that's how the story ends. <laughs> so maybe you've heard of this guy, Peter, before. He was one of the first followers of Jesus. Um, and uh, in the week that we were celebrating, this week of Easter was the worst week of his life. It was the week of his greatest shame. A week where he failed so deeply and so profoundly and so life-alteringly that it seemed like he could never go back, that it was over, he was disqualified and done. Now, Peter had always been like something else. <laughs> um, he was all heart and half brain. Um, he was one of those like ready-go-set kind of guys, uh, which isn't terrible. He would have made a really good fullback. Um, just put your head down and go into the line. And that demeanor served him really well sometimes, but other times not so much. And so here's what happened on that week. Despite Peter's intentions and his hopes and his promises that he made to God, when Thursday night fell and Jesus was arrested, Peter scattered like the whole crew around. And when darkness fell, he found himself around a charcoal fire where his whole social circle was mocking Jesus and what Jesus stood for. And those people around the fire asked him three times, hey, weren't you one of those guys that was with Jesus? And Peter said, no, 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 that, that wasn't me. And they were like, hell yeah, it was. I swear I saw you. You even talk like a Jesus guy. You know, you say holy and stuff like that sometimes. And just to make it clear that he wasn't, Peter just starts cussing like a fisherman, it says in Scripture. He's like, man, I wasn't with that Jesus bleep bleep guy. And at that very moment that he speaks this out, 
that very moment, it says that the guards were dragging the beaten Jesus through the yard, and Jesus and Peter locked eyes together. And the weight of what Peter had done. At that moment when his best friend needed him the most, Peter had totally turned his back on him. The weight of that crushed him. It says that Peter ran out. He went out and he wept bitterly. He failed. He was done. He was disqualified. Whatever he thought he was or could be or hoped to be was dead and buried in a sealed up tomb. Like, how bad was this? It was not good. Um, It was pretty bad. How do you come back from that? That's the kind of thing that you carry around for the rest of your life. And maybe you've been there. I've totally (laughs) been there. Maybe you're right in the middle of a season like that now. Maybe you've got one of those boxes that's a long time ago, but you still carry it around with you from apartment to apartment and house to house. You won't quite let it go because you know who you've been. And so you always keep God at arm's length because what in the world could God want with you now? Could there really be restoration? Could there really be life sealed behind the tomb? So as you might expect, um, we don't see Peter for a while <laughs> after Easter. He lays low. Uh, after the crucifixion and the resurrection, there's this crazy mix of excitement and fear and confusion, and everybody's going around saying, he is risen, he's risen indeed. Apparently, they knew what to say back then. <laughs> except, except for Peter. Because in his mix of confusion and excitement and fear was guilt and shame and feeling like probably even being told by the other people around him that he was on the outside forever. And so when everybody else was worshiping, he was quiet. He didn't know quite what to say to the whole thing. But even in those moments where we don't know quite what to say, in love, God's speaking something to us. God is reaching out to us with a restoring word for our souls. If we can listen. So what did God say? What did, what did God think about Peter in that moment of his greatest failure? Was it judgment? <laughs> was it anger? You know, was it apathy? Was God done? We see a clue in, in Mark chapter 16, verse 7. There's just this real subtle thing that I think it shows us that God's reaching out to Peter. It says, the angel says, go tell his disciples and Peter to go ahead of you to Galilee. Go tell the disciples and Peter. Peter, specifically Peter, because I don't think that Peter would have thought that he was invited otherwise, right? I love that. I love that. It's powerful to me because there's times when we think that Easter and this invitation is for other people, for better people. (laughs) But you, specifically, are invited. This story is for you. Go tell the disciples and Christina and Alex and DeAndre. Go tell them all they are invited. And so Peter goes. He travels this distance to Galilee, but he's carrying some serious stuff along with him. And so you can see that in the story because when he gets to Galilee and they're waiting there for Jesus to show up, it says in John 21, 3, that he looks around and he says, I'm going fishing. (laughs) This wasn't boredom, like, you know, I'm going to go play some angry birds or something like that. This was Peter giving up, saying, man, I'm done. Uh, I, don't, I don't think this is for me. Part of that is that this lake brought back some memories for Peter. This was the very lake where Peter had first met Jesus. Uh, Jesus had shown up and told him to throw his nets on the other side and called him to a deeper life. 
and said, I have a purpose for you, something more than fish. And Peter said, I'm with you to the end. It was that summer camp moment for Peter. And on this day, when he's looking out at the lake, all of that comes rushing back to him. And Peter's just like, I'm disqualified. I'm out. I'm going fishing. And his friends go with him too. I think they're a little worried about him. (laughs) They're trying to help him out. It says that they fished all night long, but that night they caught nothing. Sometimes the Bible lays the metaphors on a little heavily. (laughs) Here's one of those moments. We've been there. We've had those nights where it's just kind of empty, right? Where there's nothing in our nets. And Peter is there on this night. But the amazing thing about God and the amazing thing about every story of God and our story is that the story doesn't end there. So the sun starts to rise. Um, I've actually camped on this beach, had the privilege to do that, and there are ants there, just FYI. Um, But there are also mountains that the sun rises over, and the light begins to appear slowly like sunrises do. And the rays start to reach over the ridge like they're peeking out from behind a stone. And they travel down the beach, and they illuminate the beach, little by little. And as Peter's eyes adjust, he sees someone standing there on the beach. Jesus, again. Because here's the thing. We may give up on God, but God does not give up on us. We may run miles away, but God seeks us out. We may feel excluded, but God draws near to us. We may have questions, and we may have doubts. We may have been hurt before, but God is patient and gentle and kind and good. And in your need, if you look, God shows up like the sun rising over the mountains, like light shining out from a tomb, like a friend there for you on the shore when you need it the most. And so that someone on the shore says, throw your nets on the other side, cast your net to the right side. And Peter's heard that invitation before, and all of a sudden he starts to realize what's going on. And his friends are like, it's all you, bud. Go for it. Jesus is recreating that first moment. He's calling Peter again. He's letting Peter know that despite his failure, that the door is has always been still open, that he is still loved, still called, still purposed, still a child of God, no matter what. And at that moment, the guilt and the shame and the feelings of failure just melt away. And so what does Peter do? It says, when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he jumped into the sea. (laughs) There goes Peter. (laughs) Um, The Greek word actually is chunked, ekbalo, which means to like throw with reckless abandon. So Peter goes like full Forrest Gump, you know, Lieutenant Danning his way to Jesus, just thrashing his way toward the shore. And like, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you? If you'd longed for the door to be open find a place where you were accepted and welcome, to be invited home, wouldn't you? So Peter pulls up on shore, and he meets Jesus' eyes for the first time since that night, and he sees the burning charcoal fire just like the fire he was gathered around when he turned his back. In that moment, I think he slowed down, and he felt the rush of fear, just like, what's he going to say? Is he angry? Is he judgmental? Check out what Jesus says to him in John 21. 12. Jesus says, come and have breakfast. (laughs) Come and have breakfast. What does Jesus think of Peter who denied him and turned his back on him and broke his heart? What does Jesus do? All in the world that Jesus does is seek him out. 
call him home and fix him breakfast. I think it's beautiful. Because breakfast is like real relationship. <laughs> That's like, you know, I love you all, and someday we might have coffee together or lunch. Um, as we get closer, you know, maybe we have dinner together. But there are only three people in the world that I regularly have breakfast with. My wife, Lindsay, beautiful daughter, Grace, and Hurricane Hudson himself. <laughs> Family. And when I sit around that breakfast table, I'm home. A new day is beginning. I'm at peace. I'm accepted. Mostly at peace, although with kids, you never know. <laughs> so Jesus says to Peter, you may run, but I'm not going anywhere. I know you've messed up, but I buried that stuff in the grave. We are family. Come and have breakfast. So some of us today, man, we've been distant for so long. Uh, we've run and we're out fishing. We don't know quite what God would say to us, what God's thinking about us. We need to hear the story of Easter, the message of Easter, that the God of the universe loves you. just wants you to know that, that God knows your story and your idiosyncrasies because God knits you and forms you and think you, thinks you are unspeakably beautiful and a pretty good hang and has purpose and meaning and life for you. And even when we're far away and fishing, God comes and finds us and shows up and invites us home to be loved have breakfast with our creator. Some of us need that. I do. I think I might have breakfast for dinner tonight and just start fresh. But God invites us to swim as fast as we can. The amazing thing about this story is that Jesus doesn't leave Peter there. See, forgiveness is amazing, but it's not even the whole story of Easter. We could have had forgiveness with just Good Friday and the cross, We've got Sunday, we've got an empty tomb, we've got resurrection. We've got new life where life seemed impossible. God doesn't just forgive us or accept us. God restores us to life, to our life, to the true life of who we were built to be in the depth of our spirit and the truth of who we are. God meets us on the beach and breathes into our empty nets and makes them full and doesn't leave us where we are. God restores us to new life. So for Peter, that took some hard work. It took God kind of work, but God does it faithfully every step of the way. So there was that fire when Peter shows up on the shore, and it's not just any fire. It's a charcoal fire, it says. There's lots of fires in the Bible that didn't have electricity back then, so they're like lighting fires all the time, like they're, uh, like they're uh, Boy Scouts on a campout. Fires all over the place. But there's only two times that they are specifically called charcoal fires. Here on the beach with Jesus, and that fire that Peter gathered around when he turned his back on Jesus, his friend, at that moment of his greatest failure, and I don't think that it's accidental. So Jesus calls him in, he's safely in, he drives him off, and he assures him he's loved, he's graced. And then Jesus delicately turns his attention to the elephant on the beach with them, to Peter's deepest wound. And he says, Peter, I will always love you. I'll always love you. Let's talk about what happened. So their eyes meet again. And then in John 21, 15, Jesus asks him this question. Do you love me? Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus says to him, feed my sheep. He asks him that three times, the same number of times that Peter betrayed him. And so what is Jesus doing in this moment? Is he like being mean? Is he being 
passively, aggressively punishing Peter, or like actively, <laughs> aggressively. I think in this moment, Jesus is, is saving Peter's life. Jesus is giving him a chance to start fresh, clean slate. If Jesus had just glossed over what happened, left the shame undealt with, and every time the rooster crowed and Peter saw a fire, it would remind him that he was messed up, that he had messed up. And some of us, I think, for me, for a long time, I carried that feeling that I wasn't quite whole yet. But over and over, Jesus does something else with those moments. Gives us a reminder, not of the past, but of the promise, of the present. Gives us a reminder of God's grace that's with us every step of the way. And so what direction is Jesus' question, feed my sheep? It's forward. It's forward. It gives him hope and a future. He says, Peter, do you love me? Yes. Then leave this here and let's move on. Let's move forward. Let's go. You've got work to do. <laughs> I'm feeding you breakfast because there's a hungry world out there. I'm restoring you because I need you to be a restorer. I need you to know how much I love you because there are people out there who need to know how deep that love is just the same way. So feed my sheep. And Jesus is rolling away that stone that no human being could ever roll away so that Peter can step out into a new life. So on the cross, Jesus said, to Telestai, it is finished. And for Peter in this moment, the guilt is finished. It's done. And for us, Jesus' declaration is not the end of the story. It's not that finished means that it's over. It means that something new can begin. What Jesus finished is where we begin to live as loved, whole, healed restored people. And some of us along the way, we've, we've felt unaccepted. And God wants us to know the depth of God's love for us. Some of us have been dragging a weight around like a net that's full of just boots and cans and stuff. God wants to set us free. He wants you to leave it behind so that we can go forward to be the people we were called to be, to feed this hungry world, to love as we've been loved. And we need to jump out of the boat and swim as hard as we can into the loving arms of a God who loves you more than you can imagine. All of us. We are children of a wanderer seeking, always welcoming, forever loving, failure overcoming, showing up on the beach and making you breakfast when you need it most kind of God who meets us where we are and stokes the fire that warms us and stirs us back to life. So the invitation of Easter, amidst the lilies and the flowers and the eggs, whatever is up with that, the invitation of Easter is to pull up around the fire that God of love, who's with us every step of the way, begin to fill us restore us with life and with love. Make us breakfast. <laughs> Welcome us in to get to know our creator and find that new life we were built to have. Easter is that invitation. And it's for you. It's for me. It's for all of us and even more. And it's pretty stinking cool. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for your love. And we thank you for your never giving up. 
always welcoming, never turning your back, even in the moments of our toughest days. You're with us. But more than just being with us, God, you are there for us. You are for us. God, we thank you for a community like this that invites us just to dive into the ocean and swim for the shore, find you, your arms, your embrace, your life, your resurrection, stone rolling away, new kind of life. Thank you for Easter. Thank you for this story of love that overcomes everything. We pray this in your son's name.